Hello and welcome to the Facing Up podcast with me, Luke Grenfell Shaw. In 2018, at the age of 24, I was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. Since then, I have been on a journey full of challenges, which has led me to ask the question, how do we face up to the challenges in our lives? To help me answer this question, each week I learn from different guests how they faced up to the challenges in their own lives, and perhaps even how they led to opportunities. I hope that by listening you will be better able to face up to the challenges in your lives so you can live your best life today. Now today I am talking with Joe Daniels and I, um, Joe is one of the coolest people I know. He's actually probably the most inspirational person that I know. Um, he's probably going to be blushing a bit as I say this. I, I can see it across the screen. Joe at the age of 23 founded Project Utopia, which in very simple terms is builds houses, but that is a gross understatement. It deals in energy, construction, integrating intelligent technology into modular housing, making it uh, affordable, sustainable, uh, raising living standards. We'll talk about more of that later. He's one of Forbes 30 under 30, so kind of moving in some pretty lofty circles. But it hasn't all been plain sailing for Joe. And well, first of all, Joe, thank you very much for joining me here today on the Facing Up podcast. Now, thank you, man. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be involved in actually a podcast that's less about the focus on maybe the economic side of things and more about the ambition and journey to get there. So it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting one to be involved in, to be honest. Yeah, because I think, you know, um, Utopia has done so much in such a short period of time that you get, I think, asked about that the whole time. But I want to just sort of take us back um, because some people having listened, you know, I should say, you know, you've already secured like uh, 19 million pounds of investment from the Rubin Brothers. You got seed funding from like Lord Fink. This, this could be going places. You've been, I think, quoted as saying, you know, you want this utopia to be in the, in the realm of Tesla. Huge ambitions. And some people listening to this might think, who's this Joe? Like he's probably went to Eton, Oxford, had a silver spoon born in his mouth. Um, tell us. <laughs> so, yeah, I come from probably the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, I was a kid with an alcoholic abusive father um, and a mother who, despite her best efforts, and she's an incredible woman, suffered the infliction, uh, suffered an infliction at the cost of the hands of someone like my father um, who mentally abused her and um, led to her having immense breakdown. And my life journey started that, you know, we weren't well off. My dad was drunk, alcoholic, constantly getting in tear-ups and stuff and I you know he was a very very violently orientated man so I grew up as this kid with you know a mom that's just trying to do her best working in multiple care homes and a father who was just aggressive an aggressive alcoholic someone you know Jekyll and Hyde syndrome you know man was different but he was always drinking and my whole life was misery my sister used to have to watch things that she shouldn't have had to watch and I suffered that infliction day in day out and we lived in poverty so at times you know there was one time i slept on my nan's bathroom floor when i was only 13 or 12 or whatever it was fucking wow. we living sorry language but we were living in you know me, any, my language mom, goes. any language goes even mum and sister were trying to get away from my dad and we were living in this shithole uh place and in a women's refuge trying to just get away and then we had to go back to my nan's and i was on the bedroom floor my sister was on the front room the couch and my mom was on the pull down couch with her and just this madness and I get to about 15 years old and I have enough. My dad almost goes to jail for something. Um, right. Yeah. And like my mum has a severe mental breakdown. She's put in a mental hospital and I yeah. had nothing. And I was a kid on the road at uh, 15 years old with literally nothing. Um, so you're, you're 15, like being a teenager is hard enough as it is. When, when in, in, those, in those early teen years and you had to go home, like you're, you're going to school, what were your thoughts when you knew that the place that you'd go to after school at some point had to be that house where your father was? You, you kind of like, you, to be honest with you, do you know what kind of, kind of funny? It's actually, it's actually a relief to not have to go back to him, actually. 
<laughs> so when right. it's hindsight looking back on it it's kind of like i was actually relieved but not having somewhere to go it was hard you know you're sofa surfing trying to stay at friends you're only 15 and there's staying at mates and then there's staying like at your nan's house so much that you can do that you're trying to like not saturate everything all the time before you realize that you're not you're not wanted anywhere and that's hard man and wow that's, that's fucking hard but it builds a certain level of resilience and i made ends meet and i you know Originally from North London, living out in Essex, you know, when got involved in some rough stuff. Was from the age of about 15 years old to my suicide attempt at 19. I went through a life cycle of living on the street, getting involved in all sorts of, you know, that side of life, you know, that kind of poverty side of life, being involved in circles, you know, benefit systems, trying to make it work, trying to just live, trying to get in, you know, trying to work. And then I tried to go in the army because I had literally nothing and I had a really good pass grade, but I was binding in my left eye because my dad was very violent. And it's kind of what I represented in a sense is it was, I wasn't necessarily violent myself, but violence was a part of my upbringing all the time. So these kinds of environments would be the norm to me. And, and so I spent that time from like 15 to 19, 15, 19, 19. It's just trying to get, just trying to get by, like just getting through. Are you saying that the violent upbringing or the violent, the violent environment that you'd been brought up with with your dad then meant that you were somehow more at home or familiar with those rough circles later yeah so it's kind of like at that point it's not necessarily violence but that kind of anarchy a little bit was less strange to me does that make sense like it was a less strange environment so i was kind of getting caught up in stuff with running around you know being a teenager but a teenager with no limits you know and that's that's difficult because you don't know where you fit in you don't know what how to make ends meet and you're just going from like you know place to place and you just come you know you get involved and then you know you're not one to back down, which means, you know, because that thing, you think you're better than you are. You know, I had that brash arrogance as a teenager, but also this kind of like, well, I'm indestructible. I can live on the street. You know, I've been, I've been homeless. Like, what can you do to me? And then you end up getting yourself in precarious situations. And mm. then you, that led to me being blinded in my left eye. Wait, <laughs> um, wait, what happened there? <laughs> so I was assaulted. Um, I got myself in a bit of trouble. And um, the one individual that I was having a bit of a ruckus with, had a group of friends and then that group of friends um beat me within an inch of my life pretty much and um this was at the time when i was about 18 i think i was 18 19 trained to go in the army and then i went in the army to go and do training at purbright and yeah. i was in this training you know try to tell my back of my life be military police close protection that was my goal straight in it launched corporal um mm-hmm. and they were like i was doing rifle training and they were like your peripheral on your left is really poor mm-hmm they don't realize is i realized my sight was deteriorating and then testing in the military right when you do your eye test they just say read that cover your left eye so cover my left eye and if they said cover your right eye, i would cover my left eye read memorize it with my right because i memorized it that's so what my kid. dad did <laughs> <laughs> yeah? yeah so like just memorize it like, right, cool so so yeah they let me in and then in training they would notice and my rifle was off and i went um went to get glasses and they were the guy was like whoa you got like no vision let me look behind there i had seven tears behind my retina and I had to get taken off to hospital that was it you know that that was was, your army that was it that was over before it started look man there was nothing there was nothing on the street for me there was nothing at home for me there was nothing in population for me there wasn't a place for me in society and now there was no place for me in the army and so I you haven't mentioned school where where I mean that probably sounds laughable but most people are going to be like where where you know when you you school, seem like I'm a bright guy. I know that you're incredibly smart, but like, where did school not feature in this? No, no, no. So, you know, I left school and I was like, like I came out of school with nothing. Like, went to more schools. With the family disruption, we went, I went to different schools. Like, I went to, I think, four schools, four secondary schools or something. I think it was four, yeah. And, like, you go to these different schools, like, and then, you know, a part of that family of trying to rejig when I was about 14, when my mum and dad are trying to make it work, but he's still being horrible and violent before she had a mental breakdown and I become, you know, independent at 15. Whilst all this is happening in those teen years, you know, there was a move to, like, Lincolnshire and they were trying to figure out how did they make their life work. Well, it's never going to work because he was a violent alcoholic and she was mentally ill and that mm. was it. But So I was going from school to school, so I never really went and fit into a school. I, you know, I never really fit in anywhere at that time and a school is a weird one teachers didn't know what to do with me right because they're like you're obviously my home life was horrible so 
I was very hyperactive. I was very disruptive, very disruptive. I was, I'm that kid you don't want to be in a classroom with because, because I didn't want to, I didn't feel right. You know, I was just hyperactive, you know, but then what would happen is, is that they would put me in front of like aptitude tests and I'd mm. get off the class. And they're like, but you haven't been in class learning. I'm like, well, I pick it up. So there, there was, there mm. were I as a kid. I didn't know this, you know, at the time I was a kid. And mm. the parents say, oh my god, the teacher, you're so amazing. Why won't you just concentrate? But I was like, no, 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 whatever. Um, and I was like, they were like, we can't put him in top sets because fundamentally he just messes the class up. Right. Can't put him in bottom sets because he just he gets annoyed because it's just mm. like there's no one, there's nothing to challenge him. Yeah. So where do we put him? So it was a lot of that school years. We're like, we don't know where to place this kid because he's. He's so disruptive, but he's clearly highly intelligent. Obviously, not knowing that, and then after my suicide attempt, me turning my life to being like, how can I do business and stuff? Mm. It came to my fruition that I could resu- I could take in information at a blinding rate. And that's when I started realizing later on, like, oh, hold on a minute. There's you a brain. Something. And what, did you, what did you feel at the time? Like, as a, as a 14-year-old kid or whatever, like, the teacher saw you as disruptive. Um, did you have a conception of how you saw yourself, like, in, in that environment? No, man, I was just like, fuck it. Why do I care? Like, my, I'm going to go home. He's going to, like, you know, come home drunk from the pub and all that and start getting violent, going mad. And what's the fucking point? Like, I go, you know, my mum's not at home because when I get home after school, yeah, I have to go be picked up by my nan because my mum's at work working two jobs for this drunk guy. And, like, it, what do I do? And yeah. one of those ones is kind of like it didn't, nowhere was home for me. I didn't fit in anywhere. I was like, just as a abandoned kid, you know, and I'm not your typical looking kid like that, you know, a little ginger kid that picked on a lot. Like it happens, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, I was, and yeah, just didn't fit in, man. Just didn't fit in. And there's, you know, obviously, um, I'm very fortunate to be where I am today, but yeah. it's resilient. It, but it's uh, you. I mean, you are incredibly resilient, <laughs> but but things took. I mean, things got pretty fucking awful before you picked up again. Can and if it's if you don't want to go there, let's not go there. But the, the suicide is, I mean, yeah. that's pretty strong. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. If I don't talk about these things, then what happens is you reflect on them too much by talking about these things and understanding it was a part of your development as a human being, you're able to identify where your strengths and weaknesses lie. Nothing is, should be hidden. Nothing. You should not be able to be scared to talk about anything. We are either, we are a state revolution. And I feel that anyone that can't talk, about things that they've been through and understand there's a change of people and a change of environment then those people need to open up a bit more so yeah man when i was when i come out of the army i got i done you know then me and my you know my girlfriend at the time went you know there was nothing there it was nothing really in my life do you know what i mean so i was like what's the point i started hitting alcohol i started hitting all sorts of stuff and then one day i'd had enough i was on cocodamol for my eye my royal anglian mate i know he dealt with death in afghan so I've got him over. We had drinks. He went to sleep. A half bottle of vodka, 36 cocodamon. Cried myself to sleep, apologizing to everyone. Um, and then three hours later, I woke up vomiting all over myself. And that's kind of where we birth birthed because I was like, look, if you can't kill yourself, yeah, literally, like, you try to kill yourself. If that's not your path, then you've got to do something with this. You've got to, all that shit you've been through, just do turn it into something because you've tried the easy path. So now let's try Mm. let's try and make something of this do you think you needed to hit rock bottom before you started yeah going upwards i would have roller coasted you know or ridden that mid ground ups and downs for the rest of my life i would never hit the highs i would never you know climbed i would have just been on this kind of like movement of of you know self-hate and self-destruction and it, yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt some people is you know realization is a very difficult thing when you could when you have an environment like that and yeah, unfortunately, yeah, that was that was the point. Fortunately, now, obviously, given that we, you know, yeah, now that we're having this conversation, things yeah, are now better. That conversation, and we get to build in Africa and change the world and explain my, te- you know, my teachings and what I've been through to help hopefully encourage others. It yeah. Was shit. <laughs> <laughs> what did you What did you realize at that point? You said, you know, that realization. What was did something crystallize in your mind? Yeah, if you can't kill yourself and you've got one life, you best do something with it. It's as simple as that. Like, you can't. What are you going to do? Try to kill yourself again? Like, bro, you tried that. Like, come on, man. You get, if, if you, you've woken up on the episode, just get up, get on with shit. Like, that's it. And that's when, like, so I was doing poetry at the time with a very close friend of mine, Carl. Oh. 
And yeah, I just, it was, I don't know, it's I suppose an expressive version. I still didn't know I had any intelligence, right? So I was writing stuff and my friends were musicians, right? You know, they do a lot of like ground tracks and all this. And we used to go to studio in London, they do some R&B and all these music. So, you know, I was around that, I was just writing poetry. I couldn't sing, couldn't rap, nothing like that, you know? Um, yeah. So I was just doing poetry. And then I was, my mate was, who was the artist, I was like, look, man, I think I think I can do this better than your labels can, you know? Like all these people that, that work, the labels you work with. And he was like, nah, 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 bruv, you don't know what you're doing, blah, 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 blah. Um, long story short, I was like, do you know what? Don't worry, I'm going to start a music label and a media company. <laughs> and he's like, all right, mate. It's at that point that I started Right. I wanted to learn and I become a web award-winning web designer within six months and Wait. then I started programming. Wait, I, I feel we've, we've missed something here, Joe, because like, <laughs> we, 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 um, can you just take us back, you know, because you, 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 you try and commit suicide yeah, and then what, like six months, a year later, you've set up a music label. Can you just oh, take us back to that first day? that you, after you tried to commit suicide, how did you go about picking yourself up? Like what, can you just right. take us through those like tiny steps that you might've taken at first? The rock bottom moment, like it was cool. And my friends were like, what are you doing? You're mad. And I was like, now watch what I'm going to do now. Like if I can't kill myself, watch what I do. Like I've had enough of this life. Like I'm done with it. Like watch. I start going to studio, sleeping on the floor in a music studio with Carl, just laying there. Like, what can I learn? Learning. Like, what can I do? I could go on video shoots with him learning. I'm like, cool, I can do this. He's like, all right, mate, you know, but don't get carried away yourself. I'm like, no, 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 watch, watch this. Within 12 months, I was an award-winning web designer. I'd won a web design for my media company. We were getting contracts and clients. I was shooting music videos and signing artists to and it was all it was just using my skills so i was i was literally had no money yet but i was figuring out okay well i can get a block of studio time if i work with that guy and help him with his, a few bits of his business and carl would then produce a few tracks for me to be able to give to the artist and i'd help him write a little bit because my poetry and i was just the guy and just trying to get in between and i'd you know figure out web design they i won an award of the essex digital awards in like 2016 or whatever it was um right you just figured out web design as yeah, you do it's not yeah but the thing the irony of it is the way they teach you, and this is going to sound really quite odd, the way they teach you in school makes it feel like you have to pick specific things and master them before you can have skill in that thing. But in reality, yeah. if you spend time doing a thing and then getting mentorship and listening to someone who knows how to do that thing, you end up learning how to master that thing in a very, very short period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at me now. like I'm developing a, a planning portal in a gaming engine, which I'm designing through architecture and build systems that I invented as an, basically an architect with no degree that I built out in Africa, um, and it's the highest performing building in the world. Why is that? I learned. Shit, but what right? is worth? This is like vintage Joe right here. Like <laughs> that, that is perhaps as quintessentially Joe Daniels as you get. Um, and that might sound. Like when I first heard Joe talk, he like dropped me this WhatsApp message. He was like, "Hey, Luke, like heard of you." He's like, "What's up, bud? I've heard of you. You seem to have an interesting story." Um, yeah, I'm basically and to paraphrase, you know, saving the world, climate change, this, that, and the other. And I was like, "Whoa, this guy." <laughs> um, like he, he's, he's, he's got some good chat, but I don't know if he's like walking the walk, but maybe we need to like actually hear the walk that you have walked yeah. a bit more. How old so, are you when you set up this, you, you win this award for web design and stuff? Web design award, I was 22. So it was only like okay. a year or two after the whole suicide period. So it's like early 20. Mm-hmm. I'm now just turned 28. I've been doing this for five, six years. Mm-hmm. So there was a bridge gap in this whole media thing where I was doing the, it was going crying quite well. Like, you know, I'd signed Carl to the label, you know, we was, uh, we went on tour with Maverick Sabre. Um, like, yeah, so it was getting quite, quite good, you know? Um, but it weren't a game changer. And there was a part of me inside that was like, look, man, look what you've done in the last couple of years, like last few years, like last couple of few years, you've lived in an office, you know, you, well, you've lived in nothing. You've managed to get yourself an office. You've then lived in that office. You've built a media and music label out of literally nothing. You've been featured on BBC radio, you know, you've got something here. You can learn stuff. You want awards for web design. Like, where can you apply yourself to? Go back to when I was a kid, right? Mm-hmm. So when I was about 11 or 12, my dad was an air conditioning engineer, an electrical engineer. Mm-hmm. So he used to take me and teach me mechanical and electrical engineering when I was like 11 or 12. The sign that stuck in my mind from all those years ago was the fact that people were using gas that was imported rather than powering a, com- a compressed gas that doesn't leak necessarily to convert electricity into heat and cooling. And that was always a bugbear for me. I always used to go back and say, like, why has everyone in the UK got air conditioning? 
So I was like, I think there's got to be something here that I can do that's going to make impact. What hit me the most? And I remember being with my mom and sister, having nothing, having mm. single glazing. We we're trying to get, you know, trying to get benefits to make light ends meet. We've run out of gas and electric and all them stuff. All that stuff I've been through in the past. And I was like, I'm going to build the best fucking building in the world. And I'm going to make sure everyone can get access to it. And that was it. I said, I'm going to build the best building. And what am I going to try to do with it? And I, I said to myself, I'm going to try to build a utopia. Yeah, I'm going to build this utopia. But it can't be utopian because in real life, utopia don't exist. There are right. going to be kids in poverty. There are going to be kids getting beat up. You can't change human patterns. There mm. are going to be these things. So mm. what you need to do is what do you apply to mm. build utopia? What makes the world go round? People and unfortunately money. So let's look at economics. Okay. Yeah. Take so us the through economic it. Point. Let's look, think about well, how do I build buildings economically? Well, one, it's got to be scalable. So you've got to be able to get it out of there. And one, it's got to be affordable so anyone can afford a version of it. Mm-hmm. Two, when you talk people, you think sustainable, right? So you think, okay, so what about, what about environmental? Well, one, the world's on fire. So let's not build it the way they built it before and keep, keep, keep triggering the world on fire and burning stuff into the atmosphere. Right, you Two, mean like climate change is just like yeah, causing yeah, like, all sorts of like, problems. That, that, yeah, that should not be like, it's, it's weird. Like it shouldn't be a discussion point. The world is on fire. Like, do you know what I mean? So that's like cool. Don't build it out of rubbish and make sure it can be circular in its economy. Right? So make sure when you've gone to, to the economic bit, make sure that you're building this out of materials and things that can be sustainable. And then finally, social acceptability. Design it or build it or do it in a way where people actually want it. And that can be a family in Africa that like to do all of their barbecuing outside because it's warm all the time, or it could be a floodplain, or it could be a freezing cold place in Antarctica. Build it so that when you design these these technologies or these things, whatever you're going to do, Joe, just make sure that like people are going to want it. And I took that, and that's when it called it Utopia. Right, Utopia. Utopia, economic, environmental utopia. And then from there, um, that was the start of the journey and understanding. I started learning about architecture, thermodynamics, agriculture. Right. Uh, I started learning what goes into a building, what works in a building, what's used by a building, what do people use on the streets. I started looking at, you know, urban planning and going, well, what do we do as people? Mm. And so I take myself on an internet intellectual journey um, of discovery. Yeah. You, you say all of this so casually, but um, I think most people, perhaps almost everyone would not even know where to start. I mean, you know, on one hand, most people probably would have been content setting up their own record label. For some people that might well be a very you know, something they'd be delighted to do once in their life. And that is like job done well. Yeah. I felt for me, it was just, I, where did the was, confidence come from? I am. I've always had confidence. <laughs> I think that's just one of my things, you know, I don't know whether it is my ability to learn quick or when you put me in a socialist situation to be able to really understand things quickly, probably a little bit uncomfortably for people. Like I can analyze and review things like, I, you know, and I think naturally having that throughout my life, even though I didn't have the academia socially, I was able to pick things up and I think that confidence comes from knowing patterns and knowing people. And I kind of just got that little bit of confidence. Cause I'm like, I know I can get that situation done or I can figure this out quite easily because of my natural ability that I didn't realize I had. So I think that confidence had just been building in the background, mm-hmm. you know, throughout mm-hmm. my life and, and it paramounted into me being able to actually learn academic stuff and going, Holy shit, this is, this is quite dope. Like I should learn more of this stuff and I'm going to change the fucking world and slowly, but surely, applying the, my mindset to innovating new things to, to do that and fit, fit this program. How do you start? Like, you know, cause it's a huge, huge elephant that not, not just one elephant you've got there. You've probably got a line of elephants that you're trying to eat and other people might be thinking, you know, like they want to start up their own business. They want to take their life in a new direction, but there seem to be a lot of challenges and not a lot of new things to learn. Um, how did you do it? And like, what advice do you feel kind of everyone can take away? You need to look at things holistically and understand no matter what you are going to do as a human, it may be done and invented or developed once, but there are people that you can work with alongside and around that can enhance whatever it is you do. With that fact, it's, I looked at like, as from my perspective, ah, like inwards, I've got this kind of philosophy of utopia. We're going to build the future. Cool. But then it's like, what goes into the future? And it's like, well, I've got the buildings in it and they've got to be schools and they've got to be homes. So that's the thing, right? They exist. So how do I look at them? Well, how is the energy used? How are they constructed? How, how are they intelligent? How do they model themselves? Well, they're not that intelligent. Okay. That, that's easy. Then let's do some smart stuff. Um, let's think about that. That's one track. So I'm going to go, okay, I'm going to look at smart things and how does that work and take myself off the fucking 
to put, get a 10 grand loan out, my first ever loan and fucking go to China and learn about smart tech and manufacturing. Then construction, you know, what is it built out of? Why are we building out of bricks? Why, what, why is there a timber? Why is that there? And then the energy. So what you need to look at is like, okay, cool. I know this thing I want to do and I've got this cool idea. What goes into this idea to actually make it a real thing that's been done before? Okay, sweet. Now, what do I, what can I invent or do in that space, which is unique, but who else can I bring on that journey mm-hmm. to work with, to give the best results? Cause you're not ever one person. You're nothing without a team. You're nothing without great people around you. These big companies, they've got boards, they've got people. Why? Because you need people. Humanity is best aligned with each other, not mm. to be isolated. So everyone on these Instagram fame hype, congratulations. It's great. But at the end of the day, you're, you're disconnecting yourself because everyone's looking at you as a product. You are not the product. The product is a collaboration between people to create something new, not you and your personal fame and celebrity. Mm. Does that make sense? It's not. Mm. It's about what you do together, you know, you know, and that, and that's what makes great people and that's what makes great teams and that's what makes a great journey. Yeah. And, and fame and fortune are in, in my mind, at least never ends in, in themselves. I don't think they're even sort of particularly useful aims. I mean, I don't think they're useful at all. You know, if, you know, if your goal is to somehow change the world through changing people's behavior, and that is easier through a wide reach and a lot of publicity, then you might have a lot of, you might aim to have a lot of people follow your Instagram account or whatever. So that message gets out to people. But um, fame for the sake of fame is, I think, probably a source of unhappiness for the person who seeks it. Without a doubt. And I think celebrity is one of the most ironic phrases. You know, what do you want to be celebrated for? And the irony is that celebrity is celebrated for being in the mainstream, for shit they do wrong or right. When actually people that should be celebrated are people that make impact, that actually realize that they want to work with humanity's goals in mind. And that's a celebrity to me. So you'll never hear me be celebrated about something that can be done by watching a box on the television. You know, I love, don't get me wrong, documentaries and drama. And, and, you know, I love sport. Like, dude, I love MMA. I'm the biggest, we'll get into that, but I own an amateur MMA. (laughs) But like, for me, it's, you know, people that need to be celebrated are people that are stepping up. You know, people that are stepping up, and and that's always not that's not always what people think. You know, at the moment, it's people that are also taking a hit for what we were going through. Look at COVID. Yeah, there's some people, and I'm not going to mention names because of the political indifferences. There's some people taking the brunt of humanity's hurt right now, and mm-hmm. they're politicians that are just trying to do what they're trying to do. They're trying to do their job. Mm-hmm. They should be celebrated because they're putting themselves on the line to mm-hmm. to try at least try. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's the difference. You know. So I think is, uh, you know, not all of them, them, I'd argue. All of them, yeah, definitely all of the politicians. Let's not get into that, but yeah, definitely all the politicians. But yeah, like so, I think that you know people that should be celebrated, are people that are willing to sacrifice a bit of themselves for the, the for the good of other human beings in the planet, and yeah. that's it. I, I love what you've said here about celebrities and celebrating. Like, I've never thought about thought about it like that before. But like, you know, who do we want to celebrate? You know, and, and why and why do we celebrate certain people? I think that's fascinating. Exactly. You know, um, but it's an interesting. It's an interesting thing. And you know, no, no, no offense to anyone that's ever been celebrity. I think everyone has a motive and purpose. I just, you know, for me, I like to make sure that when I talk about people that I have faith in and have celebrity, you know, I celebrate that they're people that I really think mm. about. You know, that person's really tried. They've mm. tried hard. Do you know what I mean? And they've gone and put themselves out. No, not all the times are they a success. Do you know what I mean? So right. Absolutely. I think there's this huge gulf of difference between um, the internal of like, what, what, will have me, what will me doing something to the best of my abilities be? You know, if I, if I achieve, you know, let, let's say, I don't know, I want to play, I want to be the best runner that I can be. And I put all the training that I can into being the best runner. And I still finish like 50th in, in X race. That actually doesn't matter if I put the best of my ability in. Um, but so often society looks at it in a very different way. And I think, yeah, and I think that is because we live in a very, very uh, commercialized kind of environment where, you know, sponsorship deals and what you want to buy and design or desire to buy is the classification of success that actually, you know, there's some, and then without putting this brutally, there are some people out there that love the person that they're with and can't have children. And so when you put it into perspective of this granular scale of actually what is success, mm. actually maybe to someone that's super rich that's done all these things maybe it's having a family you don't know and so therefore we need to start stop looking at material things as the influence of our happiness and maybe mm. look at 
things like tools to create things that we enjoy and have environments that we enjoy rather than depending on happiness upon these material things because in reality in the grand scheme of things what does that material thing do for you mm. you know and does it have an impact on the rest of your life that material thing or is it something that you put as a temporary support mechanism for you to feel a little bit better and if you spend more time thinking and self-helping and self-thinking and, and thinking about what you want mm. maybe maybe you'll then go on a journey and that is when you find people endorse others even if they don't have success to the definition you know the sponsors go away and you're just there for people not for mm. the, the mechanism of money making money makes the world go around to get me wrong it's important it influences it creates change it gets people out of poverty um you know without money without trade without the ability to build buy and cons- yeah, manufacture or grow food these mm. things are needed but there needs to be a, a limit in which we stop putting our dependency on these material goods i believe um home is where the heart is create a good community create a good home create a good school we all good um, yeah i think you know it's it's what you're saying is just i 100 percent agree with that it became very very clear to me when i was diagnosed with um with cancer that like this material things just don't matter it's like okay you know imagine imagine you know I bought a car or I somehow could then buy a house, you know, like, and so what? Like, it doesn't then mean that like, yeah, sure. I've got a house to go back to. And actually for some people, and you know, perhaps yourself at one point in your life, that would have been a really big positive, you know, like a really important thing, but you know, having a, you know, your dream house, like what does that actually achieve? You still have to sort of do something in the rest of the time. You still have to live, even if you're surrounded by four teak walls or whatever it is, you know, it doesn't bestow meaning in itself. We need is we need is sustenance and support human need and a warm roof over you. Like if you come back to what Utopia do, right? In, mm. in like, dude, it's about building quality things. It's not about, yeah. you know, we, you, people can build their dream home because that's their design perspective. That's a creative person inside them. But fundamentally, mm. the whole principle of it is, is like there's kids in Africa living in tin sheds yet. They're in a regular, it's ATF on a regular day, right? And that's just the exterior. In that tin, it's like a hundred and... 40 f like fahrenheit, like fahrenheit. Gets, so what, what are we in celsius for like our non-american 20, audience celsius so then you know you're going like you're going way 40s like you're going mad when you start getting inside these things and right um yeah man it's like that's just the need like that's just human need so once yeah. you go past human needs like you know what what else is is there and i think mm. if we spent so much more time communicating as people um and not judging you know, I think we'd be in a better place, but we, we need comfort for that. You've, you've got to go into that. There is reasons there's envy. There's reasons there's jealousy. And that's because, you know, I wasn't a bad guy. I wasn't a bad human, but necessarily was I a good person? Was I good, nice to be around? Not necessarily because I was going through shit. So actually, mm. let's make the environment a little bit better for the people and then yeah. therefore be kinder to each other, knowing and putting a place. I think COVID's done that as well. You know, we're now putting a price on just how much, it, how important it is to go and fucking see a friend. Right, and, for sure. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it sounds a bit like, you know, you're alluding to like, you know, the hierarchy of needs, you know, of, you know, along the bottom of, you know, uh, you know, water, shelter, food, and then you've got, you know, data. <laughs> huh? data, data. Yeah. Data is one days. of those now. That's yeah. in that little category now, data. Yeah. And then you, you know, you've got relationships and then you, you know, you've got the sort of, sort of self-satisfaction. Um, so tell us more about Utopia. You know, you set Utopia up in, um, 2015 at the age of 23. Yeah, yeah, yeah 23. Like I was doing my undergraduate then, and you were like, "I'm just going to casually set up a company." I still find this, you know, like yeah, I'd already cool. started. A I'd already started. I'd already started the company. Your second one, <laughs> the media one. Yeah. So like, it, I don't think it was second. I think it's like I realized I could register a, a company on company's house for like 12.99 or some shit. So I was out there going like, "What's a cool name? I'm going to get that just in case someone gets it later." But no, um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I just kind of like. Yeah, it was. It wasn't. It was normal to me. It was mm. normal. Like whilst most people don't leave home until they're in their twenties, I left home at fifteen. Um, as I'm 28 years old, I've been building a business. It's my business, learning people for eight years, and I've been realizing and understanding what inputs go into life to give you enough just to get by since I was 15. So for over 50, well, 13 years. So actually. Mm. You know, I say adult life. There's a lot of people say to me, but how old are you? I'm like, well, what in adult life? Because if you classify yeah. adult life, then I'm 13. But if you, do you know what I mean? It's, it's what interpretation do you classify self in, in self-dependency or independence as a, as a contribution or attribute mm. to life? Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. it's that, where do, what is it quantified by? But for me, it was natural. 
to do those things. Um, yeah. And it, you know, it's, it's a journey of like, you have to be ready to sacrifice. You have to be willing to understand that your goal is everything to you, that you're trying mm-hmm. to achieve something that is beyond you, that outlives you. And therefore you have to be committed to it in a way, which is slightly obsessive. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's that commitment. It's, it's investing your all into something. And then by doing that, other people invest in you because they can see that you want to make change. They can see your potential. They can see you're invested in this thing. Mm. You're going to give your life for this thing. And mm. that then generates that kind of buildup of, of characters around you that help advise and structure the way that your business ultimately will start yeah. to look at. I was going to ask, like, how, how, do you, how did you attract people to Etopia in the early stages when you were you know, t- 23 and you had this great idea, but like not much idiot. else. I look like an idiot. There's a 23 year old kid that's not had a home his whole life telling you he's going to build the homes of the future. <laughs> I look like, a, like people were like, you ever do I mate. And I go see councils and they were like, wait, why did we meet you? I'd be like, well, you accepted me in your inbox and now I'm here and I'm <laughs> going to tell you how the future is going to be built. And they're like, but have you built anything? I'm like, no, 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 but I'm going to, I'm going to. Right. And then, you know, journey onwards and I managed to convince some people to support and have some difficulties and, and then figure more people to support me and then managed to build a school and then managed to build another school because ultimately what I developed once you got to the technical people were like shit mate if you're right and you seem to have got this recipe perfect this is going to change the game so then the technical people started getting involved and going actually I recommend you should probably listen to this kid because as much as he's a young kid and he seems a bit overzealous and he's accelerated he's he's on the button with it and then i did that and then you know proceeded and then lord thinks saw potential in me and started mm. mentoring me how to be a businessman and that matured me and we bought a development and, and the development has just broken all all brown boundaries like there's you know nothing's ever been built in that way at that speed to that performance anywhere in the world nothing's ever been that technologically enabled in the world at that at that performance level you know the house yeah. out to tell us, tell us about this development. This is the one in Corby, right? Tell us about Utopia's buildings because we haven't really gone into the detail yet, and they're pretty impressive. So you know, this so, is your chance to to shine. So, right, what I did is we focused on like how do you use the energy in the home. We realised that by creating the ultimate inside environment using energy efficient systems, building a super shell which is you can handle any temperature, whether you're in the desert or in, you know the antarctic and then making it a little bit intelligent inside so just all the basics you'd have inside a bit more intelligent so like what, what do you mean by this so you've got so this is the superstructure is very well insulated you're saying right superstructure, so superstructure is this super thing that doesn't allow the outside to affect the inside so it's, okay. it's really lightweight it's really fast it's world leading and there's this building product fast to put up super fast we, we trained six locals in a shanty town to build a uh, 63 square meter two bedroom building in three hours for the superstructure three hours three hours and they couldn't use a drill so you've got this like hurricane proof flood proof passive what they call it building fabric mm. we then applied a heating and cooling system in partnership with one of the world's leading tech companies i invented an uh, iot device which plugs into all the electronics internet of things right iot internet of things yeah. some really simple, so smart smart switches sockets smart blinds smart sensors really simple stuff one could put it in but then when you put that together and you put some renewable energy on it you've now got the ultimate building blocks to a building, but they're all very unique in the way they communicate and in the way they're manufactured and the way they're Mm. put together. By doing that, I can then design pretty much any building. So then we started looking at the design approach. So I've got these energy products, I've got construction products, combine them and put them in different ways together in different ways and different shapes and sizes. Doing that, um, we would then ended up building energy positive buildings. I've designed them so well that they now became energy positive. But you're you're saying you know just to make this very clear that your your buildings actually produce more electricity than they consume. Yeah. So this is cool. So over if you bought one of our houses at Corby over the mortgage life of 25 years, which is what you get money mortgage for, over that mortgage life, it's it will basically lock off and put into the grid the equivalent of 167.5 tons of CO2. Right. So mm-hmm. if you take that into consideration, by buying one of our houses, it's like taking a car off the road for 36 years because it produces carbon back to the grid, so free energy effectively offsetting carbon elsewhere. And it's the equivalent, so this is called building one square meter of an Utopia home is the mm. equivalent of planting 2.3 hardwood trees. 2.3 hardwood trees, okay. So our homes are better for the planet in terms of energy <laughs> generation Forget about usability. If you literally just built a one square meter unit of our building, it'd be more energy effective to build that unit in place of a normal home 
and plant 2.3 trees. So if you're taking into account, you know, sourcing, you know, because you're going to be using, you know, because presumably there are solar panels involved. They have, um, you know, precious uh, metals perhaps coming from Congo, which has a whole host of ethical issues there. Like, you know, there there are going to be, you know, it's the classic like lithium ion battery, you know, question with when it comes to electric cars, you know, are they as green as they really seem? You know, are your houses as green as they really seem? Way more than. So what what we're able to do is by building these units, you've got a consumer occupied space. Humans generate heat naturally anyway. So by not using any heating source, in principle, what you're doing is you're allowing that functional space to be an existing space, but then by covering that in solar and having minimum energy usage, you're basically creating a power plant, so it's purely renewable. And by doing that, what you're able to do is because that energy has been paid for and created, mm. that energy source, a solar panel will create more energy than it, u- than it was used to manufacture in its first year. Like this is, this is what happens with the assets. So if you consider, in the first five years, you already pay back the debt of the house itself for all of the CO2 used to build it. Then, okay. from then from thenwards on, you're for the next 95, 100 years, it's still creating energy. Now, the solar will dip off after 25 years. You know, you will have to replace the solar, solar but you won't have to replace the building. So mm-hmm. therefore, you're affecting carbon positivity because it's using the solar radiation. It's taking the ambient energies in mm-hmm. the world, even the air in the house mm-hmm. and outside the house to use the, that in a way which makes humans comfortable, which means it doesn't consume energy. Are you also saying that your houses don't have a, a heating system? They do. They have mm-hmm. to. Uh, considerations are it gets extremely cold in winter. It gets extremely hot. Um, mm. 95% of the year round, you do not need any heating or any cooling because they're so well designed. But what we do have is a mechanical ventilation system. So the ventilation system distributes the air that's, and the heat that's created by humans into other areas to keep the bedrooms warm. And then when it does need a little bit of heating or cooling, it just uh, it's applied to our technology air source heat pump and just pumps a little bit of energy into that system just to, to bring the room up to temperature. And it doesn't mm-hmm. lose anything because the building material is so good. So it's just really just topping up a really quality system. And then we use our sensors from our IoT device mm-hmm. that monitors that constantly is auto shading so we're just looking after the whole environment so the house maintains itself and when your yeah. humans are, it uses that energy from the humans to distribute it which means it doesn't need to use any energy mm-hmm. like a normal house would um, and auto shading are you saying that your that the windows uh, darken yeah we got we invented and developed um blind technology the blind will talk to the sensor um and that will then talk to the lights so what happened is the shade if, it's, if it feels like the room gets you up the sensor senses that and the light will uh, then bring that down just a little bit so it stops too much of the solar gain coming in. And then uh, the lights will increase the daylight in the room. So the room light level will stay as well. Okay, so this house, I think I'm sure many people might be thinking right now, this, this house sounds too good to be true. And if it's not too good to be true, it's going to be bloody expensive because there's all sorts of you know, it's it's chocker full of technology. You're saying it's simple, but the bricks in my house or my my mum's house don't um, they don't have any silicon in them. No silicon <laughs> chips anyway. So, um, is this is this really actually okay? Fine, fine. It's going to be you know you can build it in Corby in the UK. This doesn't sound like a global housing solution. Yeah, we shipped we shipped a unit that was six three square meters to Africa. Um, in Namibia and Africa, we built a unit that would outperform any building in the UK. The superstructure is three hours and it took two weeks to complete. That building was built faster than any house in the UK and outperformed any building in the UK whilst being a fraction of the cost of a building in the UK. It's redefined. It's like, you know, Tesla's first self-driving car. It sounds impossible, but it's not. They released the Model 3. We've already released the Model 3 in versions of our houses. So, yeah, no, it's completely affordable. And soon we'll be making more and more of our recycled materials. So we're even looking at the whole life cycle of, well, can we take other materials and embed them into these build, into the build fabric, into the smart system, into the machines, uh, you know, the heating and cooling system? How do we now take all of these materials that have been used over the last 20, 30 years and thrown away? How do we take them and put them into new products? Okay. Um, how, how does the mission... Um, what, what does the future look like for Etopia over... You know, because you, you, you've done this... Bit this building out in, in Africa. You've done you know, this half, I think it's what, um, 21 units out of 47 in Corby are completed or something. Yeah. But, but that's yeah, still yeah, quite yeah. early days. What's the vision? So the vision is we've proven now that any shape or style and all the technologies work. We've invested in our manufacturing. At the moment, we can produce around about 2,000 units. Um, we'll probably be up to around about 5,000 units next year. So we've it's buildings, already- really. 
Is that yeah, what? yeah, five thousand buildings worth. Yeah, units right. of the buildings, you know, average building size. Yeah, um, we've already started a pilot in the Middle East in Kuwait with Prince Abdullah Asabar, a Sheikh Abdullah Asabar. Um, wow. We're in deep, deep discussions with uh, some states in the US. Okay. Um, we are already applying for accreditation programs across Europe. Um, mm. We're already exploring different developments in Asia Pacific, Oceania, such as New Zealand and Australia and Africa, because we can, we've built these systems now they can be shipped anywhere and assembled anywhere in the world mm. by skilled labor. We were even creating an academy. So now we're literally looking at where do we go? Why do we go there? What's the strategic angle? You know, what, mm-hmm. who, what's the best people to help? How do we best introduce the system? Mm-hmm. And, and what's your mission? We talked a bit about mission earlier. Mm. What's, you know, you, you don't seem motivated by money. What, what's your mission when it comes to Utopia and, and wider? I want to have the largest impact on climate change reversal through providing homes and communities to people that's ever been made in history. Habitat for Humanity have built 800,000 units as an organization. Um, the UN, you know, have got under management around about 100,000 units of, of housing and the world is currently going through climate deficit, climate, you know, climate issue. I want to be, you know, my impact, hopefully the utopia will create a system and a legacy of change where actually the way that we build and live is changed indefinitely from using old ways into using these new methodologies mm-hmm. and introducing new other people's technology to them. So my goal is really to create a legacy proof point that, um, so I went to an event and David Attenborough was at the event hosting and he said, you know, is this going to be the year, the final year where we can make environmental factors actually economic? And that's my point is it can, mm. I, can I pioneer and steer the way on building cities that make economic sense, but also yeah don't have a negative impact and support the previous industry infrastructure that isn't is bad. And then yeah. can we develop technologies to help the existing infrastructure as well? Mm. So as you said towards the beginning, you know, money, the, the, the economics are, are always important. You know, like the, the, if you rely on people's kindness to make goodwill investments or, you know, sort of pay a bit more for something which is not quite as good, it's, it's never going, in my opinion, at least it's never going to um, scale up. It has to, make financial sense and yes. only when you get you know um you know pension funds you know it, it, hedge funds investment you know banks seeing this as a worthy place to put that not worthy but profitable place to put mm-hmm. their money that's when seismic change will happen yeah and we're in that we're in that at the moment you know the Rubin brothers are you know one of the wealthiest families in the uk and they're recognized globally and reason they invest in us is they see us creating circular economy you know mm. you can make money but also you can make change and that's what they saw us as you know they saw mm. us as a company it's okay you're, you've got real estate and that is that is a value there is economic value in real estate your land and your earth and materials and buildings and energy you know data you know they see these values um yeah. and we are just a step change to that and yeah. now we're seeing more institutes take it up they're realizing you know how can someone tell me with any billions and trillions that they may have whatever how can they turn around and say, well, I'm going to invest in that asset over there, which kills the planet and isn't as good for the consumer when yours literally reverses climate change is built faster, is built better and will last longer. Mm. So when you're building something that ultimately, you know, when you go get an electric car, you're not going to go get a, you know, Toyota, a Skoda, are you? If you can afford an electric car that drives itself, that has a computing system in it that charges and you don't have to have a carbon guilt. We're that. And now the institutes are saying, well, actually, fundamentally, it is better in every way. So therefore, why aren't we helping you? And they, they fortunately are now starting to help help on that side of things, really support the utopia vision and dream. Wow. Big, big statement. And I mean, I'm, I'm very excited to see how, how this develops. I kind of want to ask, and maybe, you know, to, to finish and to draw this back in the circle, um, I hope everyone listening to this has got a feel for not just the fact that Joe talks the talk, but he has walked the walk and, and then some. He's probably run it, actually, and then done yeah. the marathon on top of that, um, which is something I've got great sympathy for, of course. Um, but I'm kind of one of sort of, you came from such difficult upbringings. Uh, you know, to what extent has that actually made Utopia possible today? Do you think, let's say, to an extent, I was very fortunate to come from um, a background where, you know, loving family, I had so many opportunities, you know, stable family, went to a great school. To what extent do you think your life would be different or Utopia might exist if you'd had a more comfortable upbringing? It wouldn't have. It wouldn't have. 
Itopia is the birth of uh, suffering that I incurred over a period of time. And I would not have had the resilience to be able to achieve what I have. To be able to do these things, like I said earlier, it takes a commitment. And that commitment has to be unwavering. And you have to have so much self-belief. And, you know, it's hard when people tell you no. And you're constantly told no. And I, I do feel personally, for the scale that I'm trying to, to achieve, it would have been a very, very, very difficult task because I wouldn't have had that personal resilience. I don't think my character would have been hard enough. And also, I am a very emotional human being. Like, through, you know, I love consideration. I'm very humanitarian, very social person. So that kindness also almost got washed out of me. So I think that there's a very, I'm very fortunate to have experienced that where I didn't completely lose all of me in that process, but also I had so much hardship that, you know, I was going to take my own life that, that built a backbone or a structure to me that made me put things in perspective. And, you know, when I get told now, I'm like, well, look, you're not, you're not dead. You're not hungry. Like, you know, at the end of the day, just, just keep going. This is your journey. Nice. At the end of the day, it's your journey. Keep going. I think that is a great place to finish. I think we're, we're all on our own journey. And I, I think something I've come to realize over the last, I don't know, three weeks, month, is that it's so important to enjoy the journey. And if we get obsessed by the destination, then we're always going to end up not just dissatisfied, but perhaps unhappy because that destination is never going to be quite what we imagine or it, you know, it's never going to leave us fulfilled. You know, and if, if it only becomes worthwhile when we reach the destination, then, then what about right now? Joe, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thanks so much. Thanks, man. And thank you for listening to this chat with Joe Daniels. I really hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. And if you're interested in doing more reading or finding out more about Utopia or Joe, then just check out the links below. I'll pop them down. As you know, Facing Up is in its early stages and I would love to reach as many people as possible with this podcast. I need your help and I would really appreciate it if you could reach out to your friends, your families, your colleagues, people that you care about and tell them about Facing Up. And it would also be amazing if you could subscribe, give us a rating, a review to help spread this podcast to as many people as possible. Thanks for your time in doing so. Until next time, have a great week and goodbye.